Hi, welcome back to Gen Z Generalized. This is your host, Chloe Gerhardt, per usual. And today's episode is going to be adding on to an episode I did a few days ago that was about the first wave of feminism in the United States. But this one is going to be about the second wave of feminism in the United States. So this one is a lot more interesting to me because it's a lot more recent and it also deals with a lot of other movements that happened in the United States at that time. So the second wave of feminism in the U.S. didn't really start until the later 60s, but it had roots in Europe in the 40s and the 50s, and there was also some literature written in the U.S. at that time. Um, One major book that was written that really inspired a lot of the second wave of feminism was Simone de Beauvier's The Second Sex, which was published in 1949, and it discussed the fact that gender roles were forced upon women and that one is not born a woman but becomes a woman through pressures of society. So this was a very controversial opinion, and it really inspired how women thought of themselves and it changed their views on a lot of things, especially their roles in society. So as I said before, the second wave of feminism in the U.S. didn't start until the 60s, and it was kind of swept in with the civil rights movement, the Vietnam-era protests, and the sexual revolution. So it's kind of a mixture of all those things together, but only focusing on women's roles in those things. And so it's a very unique time period. Overall, the 60s and the 70s really are so special and unique in terms of events that happened. And the women's rights movement is just one part of that. So in 1961, JFK created the President's Commission on the Status of Women, and this was headed by Eleanor Roosevelt. And also in 1961, the FDA approved the first contraceptive pill for public use. So these two major things happened in this year. And then two years later, in 1963, Betty Friedan, who was a driving force behind the whole second wave movement, published her work, The Feminine Mystique, which inspired a radical change in women's thoughts and roles throughout the next decade or so. So three years after The Feminine Mystique was published, the National Organization for Women, called NOW, was formed with the main goal to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, which was originally written and adopted by Alice Paul and the National Women's Party in 1923. The Equal Rights Amendment, called the ERA, was passed into Congress in 1972, but it lacked the momentum to be ratified in the needed 38 states during its 10-year time limit. So it was passed into Congress and they gave it a 10-year time limit, so until 1982, to be ratified by 38 states to become an official U.S. amendment. So even though the Equal Rights Amendment was supposed to be ratified first by 1979 and then by an extended date of 1982, a lot of states have been ratifying it recently. Nevada voted to ratify the amendment in 2017, Illinois ratified it in 2018, and in this past January, Virginia became the 38th state to ratify it. So even though the ratification date is long past, many states and the Senate and the Congress are really trying to push for the ERA to be reintroduced and re-voted on. Mainly the Democrats are voting on this, and they have actually some bipartisan support from Republicans recently. So this could be a time in history where we finally get justice for the second wave of feminism. Maybe not, but it's definitely coming back. 
However, some of the legislation that the National Organization for Women did push for was passed in the 70s. The Women's Educational Equity Act of 1972, which was Title IX, and 1974 allowed for more educational opportunities for women and mandated that any school that receives federal aid must provide the same type of education and experience for men and women. So Title IX, or the Women's Educational Equity Act of 1972, allowed for women to be treated as equals in schools, but what they didn't realize was that this was also taken into account in sports. So many women emerged in sports and things in the high school and college levels, and then women's professional sports also became more popular. One of the most popular events of the 70s was the Battle of the Sexes between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, which took place on September 20, 1973 in the Houston Astrodome. So originally, Billie Jean King would not accept Riggs' earlier invitation in the year, but Margaret Court, who was the top-ranked women's singles tennis player at the time, lost to him very badly early in the year, so Billie Jean King decided to challenge him for the good of womankind, and he actually challenged her to win a prize worth $100,000, so she accepted because she felt that she needed to redeem herself and her gender as well. The Battle of the Sexes ended up being one of the most watched tennis games ever, with over 30,000 people in attendance and an estimated 90 million people viewing from home. When the battle started, Riggs was carried out by these women dressed in girly clothes and everything in like skimpy stuff, and he made a bunch of sexist comments about women and how they belonged in the bedroom and the kitchen in that order. And he showed up in a jacket that said Sugar Daddy on it. But Billie Jean King also knew how to play the media. She rode out on a golden platform and was carried by buff men in togas. So this was really kind of a media circus, I guess. And it was trying to make light of the situation. But it was a very si serious situation at the time, even though they took it as a joke kind of for the media, it was very serious to both of them. So at the start of the match, Billie Jean King was actually down by a few points, but she kind of realized, wow, there's a lot riding on this, and then she ended up winning the first three, and only three, sets with scores of 6-4, to 6-3, and then the third set was also 6-3. to three. So she easily defeat Riggs in the first three sets by a lot, and so since Riggs was kind of older, it was kind of easier for her to move around, and she was just really, really enjoying herself during this, and I just love <laughs> learning about the Battle of the Sexes because it's very, very interesting because it brings in not only the political but the social and the entertainment value that was encased in the second wave of feminism in the 70s. However, not everything that had to do with the second wave of feminism was a good thing. There was actually some division in this wave, not quite as much as the first wave because there was a big split, like I said in the last episode, but there was two main types of feminism that were taking place. The one is equal rights feminism, which pushed for legislation that would elevate women to the same level as men, both socially and politically. And this was usually dealing with subjects like abortion rights, and equal pay. And these people who supported this, they were typically housewives and older white women. And then there was also radical feminism, which
which pushed for a change in society that would remove men from their oppressive positions, and this was typically the more affluent and richer young women of all races, and they were typically the ones that would march and do things like that, do a bunch of media stuff, because they felt more strongly about how men oppressed women, and the equal rights feminist really felt that simple legislation could solve the problem. So much like the first wave of feminism, the second wave also encountered some opposition, except this opposition is a lot more successful. So the opposition to second wave feminism and the ERA was led by Phyllis Schlafly, who believed that the ERA would remove women from their valued status by subjecting them to the draft and promoting abortions. She felt that previous legislations, so like the Equal Pay Act and the Equal Education Act, were good enough and they elevated women to a place where they could be happy and content in society. So Schlafly was primarily supported by older women, kind of mothers and grandmothers, who felt that the feminist movement wasn't for them, it wasn't directed at them, it didn't really benefit them in any way because they already had husbands, they already had children and careers, so nothing would really happen to benefit them. So those are the people who really supported her, and whenever she published her book, The Power of the Positive Woman, in 1977, it helped her gain even more support of the housewives of America. So eventually, when the ERA did not get passed in the 38 needed states by the end of the 1982 time limit, her and her organization Stop ERA threw a party to celebrate. And a lot of people believe that without Phyllis Shafley and the Stop ERA movement, that the ERA definitely would have passed. I hope you all enjoyed learning about the second wave of feminism. This is something that's really interesting to me. So if you follow me on Instagram, please message me if you have any questions. I'll try to answer them to the best of my ability. And I'd love to talk with you about this subject because it's something very interesting. And I think we can definitely learn from it.